This episode is partially brought to you by the Humble Choice Program. Did you know Humble Bundle has a great monthly subscription service that lets you get a ton of video games every single month? That's right, from plans range from $5 to 20 bucks a month, you get a hold of a bunch of free games they have available to you. And you can use our code down in the description below to go and sign up. It would help our podcast and help you see what great games are available for you this month. Hello everyone and welcome back to another one of these fun interview episodes of the SWW Show. I'm Mike and today with me a guest to talk about, uh, I guess I guess I'll call it a battle simulator. I, I think it's probably the best way to say it. Um, can you please sir, tell us your name and the game we're here to talk about? Yeah, my name's Jacob Hurdle. I'm a lead developer at Augmented Evolution, and uh, our game is Battlejacked. So maybe let's start. Maybe let's start in the basic thing then. So Augmented Evolution, uh, newer team, I guess, because it's definitely not a team I have heard of before. I reached out to you guys. Yeah, uh, we're very new. Uh, it's just me, and I have a business partner that's helping develop the game and helping with publishing and marketing. Nice. So yeah. So as you said, the game is Battle jacked uh so immediately what caught my eyes this guy for you guys was um i like the i like this idea of this kind of like genre of like i hate to call them like i said before like battles and stuff but like it definitely always pitched my eye when you have like a unique one on the market um where did kind of like the idea of this come from yeah um i've always liked playing uh battle games uh, i'm a big fan of stars battlefront northern's conquest uh battlefield uh just recently in the past couple of years, like tabs came out, and that I think uh, really gave birth to the battle simulation market. Um, I love tabs. Uh, I like playing all sorts of games like that. And um, I, I one of the big things I always, you know, playing those games is I always wanted to make my the battles my own way or make mods for them. So uh, the battle simulation is kind of like the like I, ideal game for me. So that's what what drew me to this is that you can make a battle your own way and, and do whatever you want to do. Make your own kind of like simulated battles, like all the what if scenarios, like uh, what if like 200 knights were to fight like 50 cowboys, like who would win? Like that kind of questions is really what, you know, drew me to make this game. No, that makes sense. First off, that was, like, I think one of the unique things that I listed, I think one of the unique was Battlefield, which I did not expect. Uh, but I guess it does make sense because of the, the scope and size of those games. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. No, no, viewers, I'm gone. Well, yeah, like the like there is like multiple components to the game. Like there is the battle simulation game, like tabs where you can just place units, whatever, and have your own simulated battles. Uh, but like not always do you want to just place units and take your time to make your battles. Sometimes you just want to go in and hop in and enjoy the action, and that's why uh, we have an instant action mode, like the old Star Wars Battlefront games, or and you could play those like conquest kind of modes or team deathmatch modes as like a unit and that's a lot of fun too to play whichever way you want to do it no that, that that is i think that's very cool i appreciate always the like the variety i think in these games have to have inherently to consider to be interesting but kind of like keep interest going on them so yeah you must be a very like as a designer or developer you must like systems of games locked though because based on how you describe those games they're obviously very like systemy games that you kind of like let go play yeah but other kind of like as you were developing this game kind of what other like big systems do you think like that this genre you need in it to either be successful or like a unique twist of system that you'd put in this do you think to make it stand out uh well one thing that's super unique to this game is our we, we it's kind of like a mix between like an rts mode and uh we, we call it hacker mode uh, and you can like give like RTS style commands and in either in the instant action modes or simulation. Um, and you also get to like manipulate the battlefield. You get to like, drop like pianos on units head or like, you know, like, just, like zap them with lightning. Uh, it's like really just uh, interesting to be able to like play it from also an RTS perspective in, in some ways and uh, be able to like manipulate the battles. Like if someone's losing, you're like, oh, I don't want that guy to die. And like, zap the enemy. It's killing with like lightning or something. It's like a really, I don't think it's done in any other game that I've seen. No, that is that is very interesting of letting the player kind of like 
add it's basically added than putting their thumb on the scale kind of do you have yeah. kind of when you were making this in the beginning then was that always your goal to kind of like give the player maybe more control than they normally have or in the beginning were you like let's just keep this very down i say down to the science but like down to what would actually happen yeah, so at the beginning of the game, it's the scope, I think that goes for every game that's probably ever been made. The scope is really small. I was like, okay, uh, let's just make a battle simulator, but with actually good combat, because most battle simulation games, like tabs included, like the, the actual combat is it's, it's very poor, and I think it's done out of necessity, because of like how many units you can have on the battlefield, it's hard to get that efficiency out of all of them. Uh, so that was the original goal, was to make a battle simulation game with actual, like, tactical combat. And then all these things came a little later. Um, just, 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 you always get so many ideas, and you just want to put every single one into your game. No, obviously, that, yeah, uh, that is the problem with games, is the joke is that we're it's always like, here's the pie, I'm going to make a pie. But we always we actually make, like, a slice that, like, barely looks like a pie, is what happens when you make games. Yeah. So that's actually a good. I think a good segue then of you did the thing that I feel is common. I think this is a genre that does it a lot. Um, because I think some genres make more sense than others of being an early access game. So mm-hmm. as, as we are talking, you've been out in early access about five ish days. Um, first, yeah. first first top level on that is how is that going, and is it going kind of how you expected it to? Uh, pretty good. Uh, we uh didn't really market it all that hard. We just really wanted to get a few players uh, in there just to start uh, beta testing everything uh, and to give feedback. Uh, I personally, I like early access games. I know there's a stigma of them being like incomplete and it's, it's a shame that that happens. Uh, But for Battlejack, we really wanted it to give the community a really strong uh, sense of, uh, of, of being able to make choices in, in changes of the game. We're really active like in our discord like listening to player feedback and like adding in like all the different kind of suggestions that they have and that's one of the main reasons why i went to early access just because i personally like being able to like engage with like developers and 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 decide what gets put into the game and 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 battlejack being like a battle simulation game as you said it fits perfectly into early access because right now the game it's it's full it's basically complete it's fun to play but we're planning on adding in like so many other factions and everything. It's just really cool uh, to be able to play the game while all these other things are being added in and be able to decide what those things are. No, there's definitely a really cool way, I think, because uh, obviously you have so much more live data, even a poll from of like, what's important? What do people hate? Like all that. The concern yeah. though, always, I think what these are is um, how are you able to do this without like killing people's games? Uh, just because logistically, obviously you have so many variables. I always find it interesting when I when it, especially because a lot of the users data tracking or all that fun stuff, and you know, as the users are like, wait, they log on one day and you're like, oh no, this doesn't work. So we had a user jump two updates and that stuff. How, what are your kind of guys' safety nets? Kind of you guys are doing to make sure that like when you do it, send an update that's not causing some sort of chaos. Yeah, so uh, we, we do a fair bit of internal testing, um, but we do have a beta branch, and what we're going to be doing is. Every build that we put out, it's first going to go into the beta branch two weeks early, and then the exact build's going to move into the main branch. So any bugs, if they're game-breaking or really bad, we'll be able to patch it in the beta branch before it goes live for everybody else. And we'll be able to, like, hopefully, between us testing and then everyone else that is okay with bugs but wants, like, the latest and greatest things, they'll be able to find it as well. That's a very smart way to do it. I feel like early, I feel like early access games like people don't utilize that stuff like beta branches enough because like obviously little things like you can only test on so many pieces of hardware, but how many pieces of hardware are out there? Like it's just it's like is it the same thing like that? I'm like I'm like developers, especially you do these very systematic games that like they forget those little things or like don't have time for those little things that can be really helpful. Yeah, yeah, I, I really think a lot more games should really use beta branches. I, many games don't. They just push out builds and they have to you know, do hot fixes and things like that. And that's not a good user experience. Like some people, they don't care if there's bugs. They just want the newest, greatest things. Then they're okay with the bugs. and They think it's exciting to be able to play everything before other people do. And so I think it's good to divide the community in that way so people can choose what their experience is. This is definitely a great idea there. Um, so going in more sort of kind of like as the content streams, we kind of jumped around at the end. 
Um, I what I what I like about you is also a lot is kind of all the stuff that I've seen about it is, um, you guys have very theme like your theme is very broad and and interesting. What would like what are kind of like your favorite creatures or like types of things that you have in this game that people could play with? Yeah. Um. One really cool thing that we added in, uh, we originally we weren't going just because it was really hard to balance it all, but adding in, uh, like, large units. We have, like, giant trolls in there that you could play as and fight against. Um, I, I think uh, my favorite part is, like, I, I don't really know many games that do this or do this well, is mashing genres. Like, playing, like, knights versus cowboys, like, playing as a melee unit against a ranged unit it's like really difficult to balance that. And I think that's why a lot of games don't do that, but we did it and we made it work in here. And it's like really cool just to be able to have a battle. And there's a whole bunch of knights, like trying to hold a lion on a bridge and they're fighting and the cowboys are just like pelting them with like bullets. And like, it's just really like unique, cool experiences like that. They just like make you go like, Oh, I love this game. No, that is, that is, that's, that's always great. Especially when you have like, if you talk about the same things, you're like, like I want a wizard versus like and you're like you're like do we have a world war ii soldier like you see insane stuff and you're always like oh but the best is when you do that kind of stuff and then it doesn't end up the way you thought it would like because inherently everyone's yeah. like everyone's like oh this versus this it's a one-to-one thing and then like some dynamic behavior happens you go oh maybe not yeah uh one thing that we uh added uh like a month before launch that really i think changed the game for us was we added abilities to units each unit has Three abilities, which range from, like, you know, just a simple heal to, like, throwing their swords or, like, spectacular, like, lightning storms or, like, we even have a Sharknado as an ability. Like, it, the game, like, the level of wackiness and unpredictability has, like, just skyrocketed once we added the abilities. And that's, like, one of my favorite parts of the game. And it adds a lot of strategy, too, now because uh, it, it brings out more variety to the units because not only do they have, like, different stats... Uh, and weapons now they have different abilities. You can use them tactically in different ways. That is that's. I appreciate also you added that a month before because just realistically, how insane that has to be. Of like, okay, like okay, we're gonna go out in a month. Uh, is this gonna work? And everyone's like, sure, it'll work. Yeah, I still can't really believe I actually got it done. It was like a, like more work than I ever anticipated. A lot of late nights, like working like fifteen hours, sixteen hours a day. Uh, there was, I think it was like 70 or 80 something abilities in total, something like that. Uh, it, it was, it's pretty insane to, like, to get them all in. I, I can't believe I actually did it, but it, I'm glad I did. So, actually, let's jump, keep on that. So, we, we talked about your, your love systems earlier in the discussion. Um, we're looking at that then. How did you kind of balance that when you created something with each player having, like, each character having, like, three abilities, kind of, like, of how did you balance, like, when they do it? Like, is it, like, a set rule? Is it, like, somewhat random? Like, how do you do that so that way it seems like enough variety? Yeah, it is, uh, to some degree, random. Um, I, I can, like, the, um, it's gonna get kind of, like, a little technical. The AI, uh, I developed, usually, like, how AI is done is with state machines, uh, and they have, like, set behavior patterns. Uh, I made my AI more open-ended to like where they can think more and it's all goal-based. Like they have a certain goal. They want to attack this guy or they want to run away or or do whatever they like they want to do. And they'll try to find ways to, to make that happen. Um, and, and, and so a part of that is they, you know, dealing more damage or healing themselves if they get hurt. Uh, like, I, like they'll just randomly uh, come up. Like if the certain criteria is met, they'll, They'll randomly like I made it like where they think of that idea and then they'll act upon it. So it is it is pretty random, but certain conditions have to be met. Like they're not going to heal themselves if they have full health, or if they're not going to use an ability if it's not within like a specified range. So they have to meet the criteria for it actually to be effective, and then it's kind of random after that. Okay, no that that's very interesting. I can only imagine uh, the amount of headaches that it takes to test. Just, just point blank testing. I'm just picturing the entire audience. You know, I'm like testing this. I'm just like, I would just grab a cup of coffee, uh, hit play, and I'll come back and hope it didn't crash. Yeah, the, the, like the, the <laughs> it was really funny because the AI used to be really, 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 really bad. Uh, up until like the last month, like, and then I, I was like, okay, I'm done with this. Let me add abilities. It, it was, 
like trying to get them to be balanced between like their aggression and like their survivability and like doing what they need to do. Because it, it's it's actually really difficult to make an AI perform well in melee combat. Uh, range is you know pretty simple as long as they're in a certain radius they could try and shoot somebody, but making someone like you know dance back and forth and try to block things and m- maneuver around and attack you in specific ways it's it's pretty challenging especially trying to do it efficiently where you can have you know like 70 to like 200 something units on the battlefield not just efficiently making it look right because you could always see the dumb thing otherwise i'm like someone swinging a sword but like the enemy is like two feet to the right but still damages and you're like and every everyone's like what's going on and it's really because like the animations yeah. just like get triggered at the wrong time like i can only see the amount of chaos of like faking it so that way they line up correctly yeah well that's uh, one thing that i uh i made sure at the very beginning the whole game is all, it's all physics based like you actually have to hit someone with the actual sword like it, you can't just like the animation doesn't have to line up it's like you actually have to physically hit them with the sword for it to deal damage. Because I personally, I think it breaks a lot of realism in in uh, in the game. Like when stuff like that happens, and that'd be something that would easily break all of the realism. Otherwise, <laughs> perfect. So let's let's make sure we can sell you a few more copies of this game. The game as we talked about is Battle Jacked. Uh, you are part of Augmented Evolution. Uh, your publisher is Click Clicking. Okay, I don't. That's another publisher. Definitely have not heard of, but I saw they had done other games before, and that's why I was like, okay. But the, <coughs> I've also noticed there's a lot of smaller publishers that like I feel like exist that no one ever hears the names of. Yeah. Perfect. So yeah, uh, the game is available. You said in Steam early access. Uh, is there yes. anything down the road that you guys have announced about coming to other platforms at any point? Or right now you're just focusing on your Steam early access release. Uh, right now we're focusing on the Steam Early Access release uh, and getting that to full release, and then we're going to look at porting the game. So yeah, uh, the game is $14.99 US dollars, uh, and then it says here I think the game might raise prices and it comes out, so just get it in Early Access, support them sooner, you get it a little bit cheaper. Yes. Well again, uh, thank you Jacob for sitting down and talking to me after your actual work day, uh, and enjoy the rest of your day. All right, thank you. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another one of these fun interview episodes of the FWW Show. I'm Mike, and today I have with me a special guest all the way from all the way around the world. Uh, to start us out, could you please tell us your name and the game we're here to talk about? Yeah, so hello, I'm Michal, um, and I'm the developer of Lords and Villains. So the first question I have to ask you, and maybe this is just a translation thing or a different culture thing, you spell villains? Mm-hmm different than yeah. you do in america uh no this is more about the word itself because it doesn't mean like a villain like the evil person it's a historical word for a villager living in feudal times uh, under a lord who is taking care of him or um, yeah he's under him in the hierarchy Okay, no, that makes a lot more sense theme wise yeah. too. Because I'm like, I'm looking at this, I'm like, I'm like, this must be like a cultural <laughs> thing that I don't know. Because like I understand, oh, yeah. like, because like I do have, like British words enough, and I'm like, oh, okay, I understand, like British yeah. people spell words differently. So maybe it's another one of those, and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's one of uh, the um, more complicated things for me because I get people on both sides. Like some people say this is just a typo and that's weird and unprofessional and then i then i tell them what it actually means and then they go like oh that's actually surprising and interesting and then there's people who think like um this is just a cultural thing so i'm not really sure if i made a good call with that name but i'm just sticking with it and and seeing what happens but uh, i was doing a lot of research for my game historically because i tried to inspire uh the game by history and make a fun spin on it so I was reading a lot about those things, and then this word kind of uh, popped out. And there is a nice um, history to it, because the word villain um, is uh, evolution of this word villain, because um, the noble uh, noblemen were kind of thrashing the villager, that he is the um, lazy person, not doing anything important, and uh, all they do is just steal and being a criminal. And they kept doing this and creating this image of a villain. So eventually the word came from this one. And now you have it, a villain as an evil person. 
Wow, okay, you actually did your research on that. Uh, I find that impressive. I did not expect you to really <laughs> answer that question. of like, no, here's, okay, here's the yeah. history of the word. No, that's impressive as hell. Um, so let's, <laughs> let's kind of, I guess, just sort of there then kind of, you kind of kind of explained it, but can you give us your elevator pitch of the game? Yeah, so uh, what I'm trying to make is, uh, I got inspired by RimWorld a lot, but I wanted to make something different. And I think the... Um, biggest problem with rainbow that i see right now is that there is a lot of micromanagement like you are l like um working with specific units and moving them like uh to a specific locations and managing every minute of their life almost and that limits you in how many villagers you can have and still have fun with the game so i wanted to make something more uh, macro oriented and i also like uh like all uh, european people i like the medieval ages with uh, slavic culture so I got inspired by that, and then this game came to my mind. So um, what I'm focusing on is that you have a lot of families, and you're managing families as a group of people instead of uh, individual villagers, and you're focusing on their relationships and their daily lives and struggles, and you're, you're watching your settlement to grow and expand and people building relationships with each other, and you as a lord or like your ruling dynasty that you're also building across generations, you're trying to impact those relationships and make um, some kind of splash in the world, uh, in the game world, uh, and make some interesting stories for yourself. Well, immediately looking through it all stuff too, one of the games that sticks out to me that I feel, I, I, looking at it, it feels similar to me, and you're gonna tell me I'm completely wrong probably, is something akin to like Dwarf Fortress? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Dwarf Fortress was the spiritual father of this whole genre. Um, the RimWorld itself came out of Dwarf Fortress as like, um, Dwarf Fortress is nice, but really complicated game to get into. So I want to make it more accessible. That was kind of the angle of RimWorld. And they also took a sci-fi setting as well. And I'm just trying to uh, make the next step and... Uh, do a different setting, but also focus more on a different angle of this management colony simulation. So one of the things then, I think with this genre specifically, and I think Dwarf Fortress is a good example, like you said, is when you look at it, one of the big problems is how hard it is to get into these games. I'm mm -hmm. curious kind of what steps you're taking to make sure that like it's accessible for newer players of the genre. Yeah. Well, this is really hard for me to answer right now because the game is still pretty early in development. So I can't really say how big it's going to grow eventually. Um, but I'm, tr I'm trying to take it slowly. So I introduce one mechanic at a time and I'm trying to make sure that you don't have to think about a lot of things. And what I can do um, more easily is that since the game is oriented on macro management, so instead of, again, like uh, managing specific people, you're just focusing on the high level, you don't need to think about a lot of things because they get automated. They are done by the AI and they are out of the headspace of the player. So you instead, you can focus on what is actually happening in the village and what the people are doing with each other and have fun with that just watching the simulation happen and uh, throwing little pieces every everywhere so it grows a certain direction that you would like but you don't have to put extensive amount of thought process into it you're just fooling around basically so that means you don't have to really go that deep and understand every little detail about the game and uh, learn a lot of mechanics and systems because most of the th stuff that is happening in the game uh, or not most but uh, more than usual, it would be automated and the player would not be able to influence it that directly. So obviously, as you keep saying, this is the type of game that's very system heavy. Uh, I'm curious, kind of, as you're developing it, is there a system that like you've created that you've talked about or is out there that like you're really proud of or like really stands out, you think, to make your game something that's like really fun to play? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of those systems is uh, like the central piece of the design are the families. So you as a player never work it with the specific people. You are always uh, communicating with the whole family and the representative of the family, which in this world is the oldest person in the family. So if the oldest person dies, it, everything is passed on the next oldest person and they can split uh, like through marriage and create new families. So then you have somebody else to work with, but you're always... Um, negotiating with the family so let's say you set up a farm over there and then you say i want this family of farmers because that's what their profession is that's what they do well i want these guys to be working in this zone 
And you're not going to be assigning like specific people to do specific tasks. You just make a deal with the whole family. And then the family is trying to follow your priorities and your goals and do the best job they can as um, that is given they care. You can also get families that are more like rebellion and they don't really listen that much and you have to use harder tricks to make them do the work. But um, in general, you would be focusing on the families as a whole. And from that, I can make a lot of, uh, possi there is a lot of possibilities for interesting uh, interactions and dynamics from the game. So the families would recognize each other and create maybe jealousy kind of situation be just because they are from a different family uh, on, the, on the next street and they don't like each other for some reason. Um, or when you get it to the next level from peasants to noblemen, now, now we're talking politics as well because noblemen are all about power. So the relationship is now more intricate as well. You go down that road then of saying that, so you just said I have to kind of, I kind of give the family roughly a task and they kind of go for it. Why did you make the decision not to let me like choose individual pieces in that family? I have to kind of go to the family as a unit. Mm -hmm. Mostly just to make it interesting and try something new and different and seeing where it goes. And I feel like as I was, cause I have my approach to the design is mostly wait and see. So I just get an idea, then I implement it and I get feedback from people and I try to see what would be the best way to take it to the next step. So I'm taking it very iteratively and I just wanted to try this family approach and it seems to be working very well because what it allows you to is making the decisions quickly and then focusing on the interesting stuff. You don't get drowned in details and drag and dropping units and playing with the UI forever just to make things right and correct. You can just relax because most of the time you're just doing important decisions and that helps uh, solidify the feeling that you are actually a lord. You're not a god that is playing with puppets. No, that, that's, a, that's a very interesting way of doing it, especially it makes sense if you try to make the player feel like a lord. It mm -hmm. has to, they have to kind of, they can't make the ultimate decision. They have to like make that top level decision and then the people themselves have to decide who is fulfilling that role a lot of times. Yeah. yeah, it makes also uh, for a lot of interesting choices. For example, you can get a family uh, where this guy his, in this family is very skilled in the profession. I don't know, let's say a carpenter. And he's really good at it because he's been doing it for so long or his family has been doing it for generations. So their profession skill is really high. And now this guy decides that he's going to be marrying some uh, somebody from a family of miners, let's say. And he, uh, that would mean he would leave this family and join another family where he can't pro uh, he can't do this farming profession because now he has to help the other family. And so you're losing that guy who is very skilled and can produce a lot of things and you have to account that in your decisions. So you're on one hand, you would be either hurting his feelings and uh, creating some kind of drama and he wouldn't like you as his lord, but he would have to obey uh, or not. That depends. Um, but uh, most likely he will obey. Um, but on the other hand, um, you can try to make him happy and then you're losing on his skills. So I feel like these kind of things can be very interesting. Sure, it can be. Um, so one of the things I'm curious, because you kind of keep talking around it, is do you have some way in there, so like if, I, if I'm an atrocious lord, uh, mm -hmm. can, can they just drop all this to me all together and I have to deal with those repercussions? Or is there some general level of I'll probably get what I want at the point of the game? Uh, sorry, can you repeat that? So when so like say I'm going through this and I always say I don't like I want this family to do this, this family to do this, this to do this. Is there a point mm -hmm. ever in the game where it's gonna be where they'll just all stop listening to me and I feel akin to like a revolt in my hands, or is it kinda like because of the nature of the game, they're gonna be roughly doing what I want? Yeah, um I think what I'm going with right now is that they will roughly do what you want. But sometimes you can get troublemakers to uh, make the player aware that he can't always rely on the people and he still has to uh, double check that they actually follow on his orders. And because the like year, the loop or like long term loop of the game is that you are collecting taxes from people on a yearly basis and then you have resources of your own, which you as a lord have to pay taxes on to the king. And if at the end of the year you don't have enough, you're losing the game slowly. If you repeatedly fail to deliver on what the king is requiring from you, you will be the land will be taken away from you and the game is over for you and you have to start again. Um, so you really need to focus on, uh, at the very least, to satisfy the king's demand. 
And if you would just give away the orders and then hope for the best, you might be surprised that at the end of the year, you don't have what you need. Yeah, no, that is, that is, I think that's a great way of doing it. Um, because even that way you have that incentive there. And I feel like a lot of these games, uh, um, which it seems like, it seems like you're trying to solve that problem is I feel that the goal in mind gets lost. I think that's always akin to like Sims to me has always been, it's a very open game on purpose, but I think it's almost like too open of a game because like. I don't have anything to push me in a direction, really. Or this, mm -hmm. at least you, you seem to be at least having the player be like, here's a reason to go in a certain direction. Yeah. I'm curious if there are any other things that you have done kind of while you're making this to make sure kind of like the players don't feel that level of loss. Yeah. What I'm trying to do is highly adaptive uh, gameplay. So there is about 200 resources in the game, in the production chain, um, and you will not be able to produce all of them in a single map. Um, so let's say you start in a mountain level where there is a lot of mountains to mine through. And so you have a very good chance to set up a mining colony and create uh, your economy around those resources. And then you will be relying on traveling salesmen to get the remaining stuff to get your economy going or sell the excessive stuff that you're not able to use for yourself. Um, and then you can have a colony that is in more like forest heavy area. So you will be focusing on the part of the economy chain um, that is relying on wood, for example. And since um, that means kind of every game is a little bit different and takes you in a different direction. But you as a player are is also deciding what is the direction for the settlement that you want to take. And the game is looking at what you're doing and is trying to give you goals uh, that pushes you in that direction even further. So if you are if you decide that this is going to be a mining colony, the game will keep pushing you to develop it in that direction more and more. No, that is, that is very interesting. I also find the idea of 200 uh, resources mm -hmm. as a lot. And I'd be very, I'm very curious kind of how many people are going to see that number and go, oh, no. Mm -hmm. It's a. It sounds like a lot, but it it's not really that uh, that complicated. When you think about just what it what goes into making a bread or like a meal, you have a recipe, and that comes from um, three types of vegetables: um, potato and some meat and bread, uh, or maybe a fish, and that's already ten resources. So um, it's not really that much. I think it's, it's relatively easy to get into eventually. And you don't even have to think about those resources. Like you don't have to keep them in your head. Um, the game works with them automatically and you can always um, look at where, what the chain of production is. So let's say you get the goal of having uh, 200 bags of wheat um, at the end of the year uh, to the king. And I'm I will make sure that the game will tell you how to get that. I think that definitely would fix a lot of the problems because in my head I'm just like doing math that is just so mm. much yeah so let's yeah go on sorry no I was gonna say so let's so let's kind of jump into it. I think the bigger thing is so the game is we're talking not quite out yet but you saw it as fall 2020 you're coming out in early access um I was hoping we could mm -hmm. talk about that for couple minutes here so I think uh on paper this type of game makes a ton of sense early access um, so when you come out in early access, kind of, what is the level of content complete like players can expect coming from this game? Yeah, I think in the in the early access release there will be the basic gameplay loop. You will have a basic uh, set of professions and zones to work with. So, um, like let's say thirty percent of the planet production uh, chain that you can develop in the game. Uh, some uh, goal system. And let me see, uh, just to not miss anything. I have it all in the roadmap. Uh, oh yeah, and the economy. So if you, you can play a free demo right now, if you go to the Steam page, uh, you can just download a free demo, uh, which is kind of a sneak peek of what is coming. And to the early access, I will just add a few more features on top of the demo to uh, make it more stand out. Uh, and right now in the demo, when you when you are building buildings, the resources that you're working with, they kind of disappear in the air and then you have a number in the right corner. And what I would want to do is that the resources are part of the world. So let's say Villager cuts down a tree and then he has uh, 
lock of the tree and he needs to carry it to a location where the tree will actually be stored. So you need to do some storage management as well and they can uh, trade the resources between each other. So that part is still missing and in the early access release, I'm hoping that it's going to be there. But for me, the early access is just beginning. I'm, I want to do monthly releases and keep adding more features and uh, heavily iterate on feedback from people. Perfect. And then let's, let me see, make sure I have this right. So I can see anywhere. What is the cost of the game when it comes out on early access? Yeah, I'm planning for 1999 uh, USD uh, in early access for the first year. And then after one year, I, I'm planning to increase the price by $5 with some major update. And year after, I'm planning to leave the early access uh, with the final price of $29.99. First off, uh, to use early access, uh, I'm going to say God bless you, because that seems like it's going to be a fun slog for you at that point. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, thank you, yeah. Early access is uh, it's a little bit scary because you never know how people are going to react to the first build, if it's underperforming to their expectations. This is especially why I'm trying to lower the price on the early access release, so I don't create expectations that this game is... Uh, close to a release, it still has a long way to go. Even though I feel pretty strongly about what I have right now, especially when I compare it to other games in the genre when they have been entering early access and been doing pretty well. So I think I'm I'm close uh, with what other people are doing and seems to be working for them. But it's still like, you never know, like uh, there can be a small thing that uh, gets people talking and then it's a big problem. So I'm a little bit nervous to be honest, but yeah. Well, best of luck to you. Let's see if we have this right. It is Lords and Villains. As we said before, Villains is V-I-L-L-E-I-N-S. You can find it on Steam or lordsandvillains.com. Uh, did I miss anything else? Mm, yeah, please wishlist the game if you like it. That helps a ton. Uh, we also have a Discord, and you can follow me on social media. If you go to lordsandvillains.com, uh, there are all the links you need. Uh, and feel free to try the playable demo and let me know it, well, your feedback and what you think. I'm really curious, uh, and I love to hear all ideas, so it gets me very inspired. Perfect. Well, again, uh, thank you for sitting down during the evening to talk to me about the game. I'm excited to see how it sh shows up for you, and best of luck while you're finishing your, yourself up towards early access. Yeah, thank you for this opportunity. It was really lovely to talk. Hello everyone and welcome to an interview episode of the SWW show. It's me, AJ. I am here with Paolo from Flipstar. Uh, Mike's not with us. He is currently on his way to Minnesota. From Swamplands of Florida to the Frozen Tundra. Um, yeah, Paolo is here with Flipstar's soon-to-be-released game, Crystal Chasers League. Yeah, Paulo, thank you for uh, yes. for the interview. Yeah, thanks for having me, AJ. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here and talk about our game and our studio, our history. Yeah, so Flipstar, you guys are based in Brazil. Yes. So let me email because you guys mentioned where you were. And I totally forgot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're based, in, we're based in Florianópolis, which is south of Brazil. Uh, it's like a small island. Uh, it's not a small island, but it's an island, and uh, but it's the capital of a state. Um, and yeah, it's a it's a pretty cool city here. Beautiful, beautiful city. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, like, I I'm a little biased living in the U.S. and we have as a singular country. I think we have probably the coolest. Uh, geography and scenery but from everything that i've seen uh the uh a lot of south america it is absolutely gorgeous yes 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 both countries like they're so huge right and they have so, so many different scenes uh but yeah like here like if you guys have the chance to to visit come someday <laughs> uh, if you google if you google the the, the city name you're just gonna see uh, some beautiful pictures so uh, yeah, it's a good city. It's a good city to live. That's awesome, and I think I I can speak for everybody from the West that the the one thing that we hear about when Brazil is mentioned in video games is 
there are super high taxes on consoles, correct? Or is it just the way that the currency equates that... Because I remembered, like, the... Um, oh, shoot. Was it FIFA 14 was still coming out on the PS2 because mm-hmm. it was, the PS2 was so popular in Brazil. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, this was more like uh, some years ago. Nowadays, it's more... Uh, it's more... I think it's more... I don't know if that's correct term it's more like globalized market so uh so yeah so now now it's pretty it's pretty recent like uh, it's it's easier to import now uh because on on the past like was really hard to import uh like uh any tech like any like if you have like new computers or new consoles like it was more difficult nowadays still not super easy but it's still a lot easier than than it was before so um so yeah so nowadays like uh it's yeah, it's it's getting it's getting more equalized uh, with the with the rest of the world, you know. I would say. Well, yeah, that's the the one thing that I I guess everybody everybody that's in the into games in the in the states and probably I mean I don't know if it's the same in Europe, but I, it definitely mm-hmm. like that's the sentiment everybody hears is like. The import fees were just crazy high, so yeah. The, uh, one of uh, it may have been the PS3 was like over a thousand dollars equivalent. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Um, that that was one of the reasons that Pirates here was so popular. You know, uh, I think one thing that's changing changing a lot now is the is the is the digital uh, because nowadays. Uh, you can buy almost any game digitally, uh, so you don't need the physical copies. But uh, without the digital uh, purchase, uh, if you have to rely on, on physical copies to play a game, sometimes here in Brazil you have to wait a lot so you could play a game. So you don't, you wouldn't have like that frenzy, uh, like in USA you have, like oh you go to games. Uh, uh, I forgot the name of the store, but yeah, go to the game store and get in the line for the midnight lunch. You know, like you you. you don't usually you didn't usually have this here, uh, but now with the as it's all digital purchase, it's I would say it's getting very democratized. Democratized uh, this this you know this commercial system uh, of of the games of the entertainment industry. Cool. Well, I guess that's a it's a really good thing for you guys because any yeah uh, yeah any any time that games can get to a larger audience it's definitely a a benefit for not just that singular game but also the the industry as a whole because I feel like you know yes video games are the largest media whatever division I guess uh, Mm -hmm. and have been for some time but still there's still not, you know, hasn't reached the, and I, English is my first language and even, I don't know. <laughs> um, I think, I, I think, I, I think I know what you're saying. The, like, like saturation. It's, it's of, deep, right. Oh, saturation. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. The, the saturation yeah, of, I, of I, I agree. film and TV. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome that the emerging markets are still growing a lot. Uh, because a lot of people, uh, they're getting uh, new cell phones, they're getting computers, they're still getting new consoles. Uh, so it's a new market for all game developers worldwide, uh, for all the different different cultures. Uh, you know, because if you think about it, I think here in Brazil, for example, uh, more than a half of the population still doesn't have a bank account. Uh, so, you, you know... Uh, it, you know, there's, it's still like a huge population to, uh, you know, explore in a sense of like uh, in the entertainment industry. Uh, so, yeah, so I think it's great. Like, you know, all these emerging countries that are developing, uh, yeah, the consumer base, you know. Yeah, so, and actually that kind of raises an interesting question that I have for uh, gaming in Brazil. Is it? Are mobile games popular? Like, is that the uh, 
reached the level that it has in like the U.S. I know you mentioned before we started recording that you were in Seattle for a couple of years. So mm-hmm. I'm sure you got to see the uh, the yeah saturation and the turnover of mobile games in just American culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll say I'll say mobile here. It's way stronger than than console and PC. Uh, I mean, PC console is still very popular here, but mobile is, is growing up a lot, a lot, a lot because a lot of people are getting cell phones. Uh, so yeah, it's very, it's very strong here. Though one difference to USA is that um, iOS iOS is not super strong here as it is in USA. Like in USA, like you see a lot of iPhones, uh, you know, but you know, iPhones here is very small user base uh, compared to Android. So I think that's that's one difference. Yeah, it's a very, I don't like, it's, it's interesting to hear when like stories are brought up in the States and I'm not sure how far they spread out, but a lot of the companies based, media companies based in the States, like your uh, GameSpots, your IGNs, things like that, they always seem to like think that iOS is the dominant platform and granted it kind of is in the States. I think it still holds a, a small majority um, in the U S but I mean, if you go worldwide, Android has been the major platform, I think for the past like seven years or something like that. So it's always interesting to hear like when talking to people from outside of the U S either either for the show or just uh, people that I know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they talk about, like, very... Some of them have iPhones, but more of them have uh, Samsungs or other Android devices. And so... Yeah. As somebody in the States that has an Android device, it's nice to be like, hey, yeah, we exist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, iOS is super strong in but... And Europe, yeah, I mean, the rest of the world. But yeah, here, uh, I would say it's probably because of the price. Because uh, uh, Apple products here are kind of overpriced. Um, I mean, I don't they know are if here it's... in the U.S., but... Yes, <laughs> <laughs> as well, yeah. Uh, I think it's overpriced by, you know, just by its nature of Apple products, but also uh, because of taxes. And here, Android, you can, you know, Android's any any cell phone hardware. I mean, yeah, almost almost every cell phone hardware uh, can have an Android system. So, and Chinese uh, Chinese cell phones are usually cheaper. So I think that's also one of the reasons that Android is getting more popular and more popular as as time passes. You know, uh, it's also because of the prices of the the hardware. Uh, yeah, so. We'll see how it goes <laughs> if this keeps keeps that way. Well, I'm sure we could talk about the uh, Brazilian games uh, industry and culture for a very long time. But you are here for your new game, Crystal Chasers League. Uh, you are featured in the Tokyo Game Show uh, indie game area. You were yes. a... Award winner for Game Connection for Best Social Game. You're part of the Big Digital Indie Showcase and some big awards. Yeah, it's uh, it's very exciting. Uh, we have been developing uh, Crystal Chases League for almost six years now. Uh, time flies. And though it wasn't like a full-time development uh, because as a studio... Uh, we have to sometimes do outsourcing uh, services so um, so we can feel the, our own games development. Uh, and yeah, Crystal Chase League has been developed for a while now. And uh, last year, we, we were happy to, to win this award on Game Connection for Best Social Game. It was amazing for us. We were not expecting that, uh, especially because we're just a beginning studio. You know, it's a, uh, we're not... You know, we're not big, we're small indie studio from Brazil. So that was that was pretty special for us. And now, and we also did a showcase. We participated in the showcase for Big Digital, which is the, the it's a festival here uh, in Sao Paulo. 
Uh, this year was digital digitally because of the of COVID. Um, and yeah, and then for, you know, we were very excited as well to be selected for Tokyo Game Show for the indie game area. Um, unfortunately, you know, uh, it's another conference that had to go to, to the online format. Uh, so, you know, there's no real booth <laughs> or travel to Japan, unfortunately, but uh, it's super special for, you know, to be able to, to participate in the, in the Tokyo Game Show, you know, because, you know, we grew up uh, seeing all these events, you know, uh, since I was a kid, like seeing the news about Tokyo Game Show and then you see your game there. So <laughs> that's, that's kind of cool for us. Um, so, yeah, so, so right now, and we're still developing Crystal Chairs League, uh, it's a kind of a big game for for the size of our studio. Uh, it's uh, I'm doing a quick pitch here, but uh, it's an online online multiplayer game. Though it also has a single player experience as well. It's a party action game. Uh, we have all this uh, great and fun gameplay mechanics, uh, like uh, uh, and then with all this game, great gameplay mechanics. You, we have this different game modes, uh, like we have like the battle, we have uh, crystal captors, which is uh, you have to find the crystals in the arenas and bring back to your base. You can also steal the crystals from other team bases. And we also have the triathlon race, which is a race, but it's not your typical race because you can race on food, you can race on a cart, or you can race in a, in a flying cart. Uh, and we also have another game mode called Treasure Hunt. So we have all those game modes. Uh, so it, it, we've seen it more, we've seen it like a, a party game. Uh, and inside of it, though it's very focused on the online multiplayer that we have implemented already, we also have a single play experience that you play as a, you know, we have what we call the leagues, which is pretty much similar to the cups in Mario Kart. Uh, you know, you play a sequence of, of stages on different game modes, and by the end, like the best ranked, ranked players uh, wins the trophy. Uh, so yeah, so we also have this this single player offline experience that we that's what we call it. Um, and yeah, so it's a uh, you know it's it's a little bit hard to imagine maybe on this podcast, but I I also summarize our game that's kind of like a mix of Mario Kart, Star Fox, Street Combo Racing, and even Fall Guys now. It has a little bit of it. So it's, it's just a coincidence. <laughs> we, we had no idea about Fall Guys before, which is, uh, which is pretty, it's a pretty awesome game. Um, so, so yeah, it's, uh, when I say this to other people, it's, uh, it's a little bit like, what? I also say it has a little bit of, of Battlefield, <laughs> though the old Battlefields, uh, because I used to play the multi- multiplayer games of Battlefields, and I remember you could like uh, get a vehicle and give a ride to your teammates, uh, and we also have this in our game because uh, our game we have the carts, but we also have some different size of vehicles, and we also have a bus, for example, and you can fit in a lot of players there, give a ride to other teammates. So that's kind of what the battlefield part of our game is. But you know, it's just a silly thing to say. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's a lot I, of stuff. Just by looking at it for. Uh, at least my description would be like the uh, I mean you brought it up the that Mario Kart kind of style it's if they had those uh, party games in Mario Kart but you made a full game of it <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so it's no longer just like oh knock three balloons off or get as many coins as you can like you guys actually kind of developed yes exactly for, for me that that kind of feel and that kind of motive of a game into a full thing. So yeah, that yeah. that's that's exactly um, we we love the the battle mode of Mario Kart, and we are big fans of Nintendo games, rare rare games as well. Uh, so yeah, we, we we on the beginning of the development, we we were more focused on the battle modes uh, for a game. And yeah, we we actually we 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 think that we evolved the the Mario Kart battle mode uh, because on our game you can you know we, as an indie you have the freedom to do all this crazy stuff. Usually, these big companies it's a little bit more hard to be creative, um, so we can do all this 
crazy things that we have in our mind. It might work, it might not work, I don't know. But um, so, for example, yeah, we're like, oh, yeah, let's, you know, let's give a ride to your teammates just like Mario Kart Double Dash, you know, or, and, or you can also fly with your vehicle. Uh, and you can also fly with your vehicle. Um, and so we add some kind of verticality in our game design because usually the battles in Mario Kart's more grounded. So in our game, we also have this verticality because you can fly uh, with your with your own vehicle or you can have a jetpack or your parachute. So yeah, I would say we we kind of took it to the next, we're trying to get it to the next level, uh, exploring um, some different gameplay mechanics. And also another cool thing is that with that, we can make um, the level design of the stage to be more focused on that, you know, because we're, we're polishing, we're, you know, making sure that the level design work uh, with this uh, with this kind of gameplay that we're building. Cool. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, you, know, you mentioned uh, Fall Guys as a feel. That's going to, I mean, A, they knocked it out of the park with that game. It's it's incredibly fun, and who would have thought Wipeout, like, <laughs> wipeout license would work? But, uh, yeah, I feel like that's going to be the game that all these, any anybody developing a party game right now is going to be like, well, I guess I yeah. should mention that one. That's true. That's true. Yeah, Fall Guys is, uh, it's it's amazing. They, they did a really great job. They nail it. They nail it. It's a... Uh, and you know it's such a fun game. I'm, I'm sure that a lot of developers right now thinking, oh, why why haven't I thought about that before, <laughs> right? Because uh, it's such a simple gameplay mechanics. It's a lot of fun. Um, and as our game, like we have been developing it for a long time now. And I mean, it's not a Fall Guy Fall Guys game. Uh, it's uh, the the similarities that the similarities that it has with Fall Guys. It's on our mode called triathlon race uh on that mode it's it's a race of course as the name says but uh there are parts of the level that are on foot and some parts that are on vehicle and flying so and we also have the dynamic obstacles and the dynamic obstacles reminds the fall guys because we have like a, a rotating uh, i don't know pointer uh big balls um you know, like as a pendulum, like flying around and they can knock out uh, the other players. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, especially on the online multiplayer. Uh, but yeah, that, that's that's one thing that we have that uh, it's a little bit like Fall Guys, but I'm sure that we may get some inspiration for them later uh, because our game is, uh, we see our game as a game as a service, uh, which means that we don't plan to launch the game and just, you know, that's it. Then we're over. We're done. Uh, we we plan to expand that our game uh, with uh, new stages, new modes. Uh, you know, we're gonna listen to our community, see what they're talking about, what they like, what they don't like. Um, and then we're gonna keep expanding, like uh, with new modes or new characters, new vehicles, uh, new stages. Uh, and we'll see, we'll see where, we, where we go <laughs> based, on, based on our community or our players' feedback. So I, I do have to ask, did the show Wipeout make it to Brazil? Uh, sorry, which one? Wipeout. Uh, it doesn't ring a bell. Okay. Uh, um, I, I don't think so. It's, it's basically what uh, Fall Guys is based on. Oh, there is okay. a TV show. It started in Japan. Then it went to the UK, and then it was in the States. And oh. it's basically a show of that kind of whimsical, like, uh, things like that. So I wasn't sure if that show had made it to Brazil or not, but... No, but we, I think I think now that, you, now that you explain, I think it is not here in Brazil, but we do have some, some copycats, you know, like... Uh, if a Brazilian is listening to me, he's probably gonna know. Uh, we have like a Fausto. Fausto is like a it's like a TV show here in Brazil, and uh, he does. Uh, he has like a, a, a 
Yeah, he has some some something similar. <laughs> you know, the Brazilians are gonna know what I'm talking about. But yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that uh, that necessarily played for somebody from from Brazil or not. If that reference to the show, because that's that's very much a uh, if you know the reference, it that's like oh yeah, of course. Uh, if you don't know it, you're like. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> yeah, I saw some videos. Uh, it's it's actually it's, it seems pretty funny, you know. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, the Japanese are so creative. <laughs> they definitely are. So, <laughs> Crystal Chasers League is uh, going to be in early access this year, correct? Yes, uh, we right now we have our page open on Steam, and we're preparing to launch this year on early access. Uh, so yes, our game is not complete, complete uh, for a full launch. Um, so yeah, so we're planning to, to go early access. We haven't announced the, the release date yet. We're preparing it, like we're making all the math, like oh, which date, you know, it's going to be, it's one that we can achieve what we want to have in the early access version. And at the same time, not conflict with other big release. Um, and uh, and also besides our early access, we're gonna keep developing our game, uh, and then next year we plan to do the full release uh, and our console sports as well. Uh, we want we want a release on consoles as well. We we are we are red approved for some platforms, so, uh, so yeah, it's just a just a matter of like being able to you know finish the early access version, and then we're gonna start doing the porting uh, to consoles as well. Well, as long as your date isn't the seventeenth uh, of November, you should be fine. Because that's the day. Uh, I know a lot of people have that date marked off because that's the launch date for uh, Cyberpunk, at least here in the states. Oh, so, yeah, I should. I, I would try to avoid that. <laughs> mark that date. It's like, yeah, probably yeah, not yeah. this week or the week after. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Christmas week. Yeah, we'll go that. Yeah, there, there's a lot of big, big releases coming soon. Like you know, like uh, like okay, you have like uh, you have Star Wars, uh, yeah. Star, the new Star Wars game. You have you have Crash Bandicoot Four. Uh, you have the season two of Fall Guys. You know, <laughs> so there's a yeah, there's a lot of games. Like November, there are also a lot of cool games coming, like Cyberpunk, like you mentioned. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty hard to <laughs> to fight to find the the good good release dates for you know I think all all the indie developers when they're gonna do the the choose the release date they should and I think most probably do that already uh, you know check the calendar and see and see what what's uh, what might be a good release date that you know doesn't get nearby this this huge huge other games, right? So, um, so, yeah, so we're trying to do that homework and, and define the, the release date for, for our game, for our, our baby. <laughs> well, I will uh, definitely be on the lookout for Crystal Chasers League when it launches into early access. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Also, also the side bonus, uh, we also have a second game uh, being developed, which is called Crystal Chasers Infinite. It's a, like a, it's a spin-off of Crystal Chase League, and uh, it's gonna be it's a it's a game for mobile for iOS and Android. Uh, we haven't been really doing any public materials about it. Um, it's a spin-off game. It's an endless runner, and we're doing that game with uh, as a partnership with another studio here in our city in Florianopolis. Um, yeah, so we. Probably we're probably gonna have like a, a second game uh, launch sometime soon as well for iOS and Android, and you know it's a uh, uh, and if all works well, we plan to do like um, some how can you say that some interactions between both games. You know, like uh, if, uh, like oh you if you do something in, in the in the Infinite game. Uh, we, which is the mobile game, uh, then you unlock a special, special something in the other game, right? So, uh, so yeah, we have also this this other smaller spin-off game uh, in our hands as well. So it's just something that we're playing with 
<laughs> for the future. Yeah. You know. I'll, I'll definitely be on the lookout for that too. So, Paulo, thank you very much for uh, joining me here. And yeah, you can check yes. Crystal Chasers League out on Steam. It's currently got a page up. So, um, yeah. And awesome. Later this year, I will definitely be on the lookout for it. Yes, thank you, AJ. Thank you so much. And uh, if anyone want to get it, our website, star.com.br. Uh, yeah, and thank you very much for having me. And uh, it, was, it was fun. It was a great talk. Thank you. This podcast was a production of The SWW Show. To learn more, go to theswwshow.com. Remember, you can follow the show on Twitter at The SWW Show. You can follow me at Mikey underscore Maroney. You can follow AJ at Lossiebor. Remember, new episodes premiere on Friday, 9 a.m. Central Time on anchor.fm slash SWW and podcast services around the globe.